0: Final miracle uh, that John records in the book of John. Um, and so, uh, just as a brief recap, we want to talk about why John even wrote the miracles he did. Uh, and if you remember in John chapter 20, uh, verses 30 and 31, we read these words uh, that John kind of summarizes his gospels. Uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. Uh, John writing these, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John, he, uh, he makes it pretty obvious that, that Jesus, he performed lots of miracles, but for John, it's not the quantity or the amount of miracles that Jesus performed that proved that he was the Messiah, uh, but specific miracles. And so uh, John, he doesn't he doesn't tell about all the different crowds coming to him seeking healing uh, and all these things. He talks specifically about uh, seven miracles. Uh, and he says these seven, these, if you know these sevens and the teachings and the meaning behind it and what it shows about Jesus, you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so what we've done over the last seven weeks is look at these miracles one at a time. All right? And so we're looking at the last one today. It's found in John chapter 11. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to Uh, turn there. You can also find a pew Bible in front of you uh, if you do not bring one, or you can use uh, your smartphone or tablets and read along there as well. And as you're turning there, I just want to kind of make sure that we understand the setting here. Uh, It's it's a conflict. You know, Jesus is having lots of conflict with uh, the Jewish leaders. Uh, We talked a lot about that last week, uh, where Jesus and the Jewish leaders, they're to a point where the Jewish leaders are just trying to kill Jesus off uh, because it would be easier for them. Right, and so Jesus, uh, after uh, healing the blind man, uh, will, will head off away from Jerusalem, get away from the fire, uh, if you will. And he heads over to the other side of the Jordan River. So about a four days journey from Jerusalem. And while he's there, uh, we have these events that take place in John chapter 11. And it starts off like this. Uh, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, uh, this Mary, whose brothers Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped her feet, or wiped his feet with her hair. Uh, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God. God's glory so the God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. All right. So uh, this kind of is our scene setter here. Bethany is the town that most of what's going to take place is going to take place in. Uh, Bethany was Uh, A very small town, but it was located about two miles from the city of Jerusalem. So it was a suburb, if you will. Uh, In fact, the last week that Jesus spends on earth ministering to people, he will spend his nights in Bethany. Uh, probably even at Mary and Martha's house, and he will go into the city of Jerusalem every day, and at night he would go back out to Bethany, and he does this for the entire week. So it's a relatively close city for him to to be able to stay there. And in this city is uh, the town, uh, the people Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Now, John, he gives us kind of this uh, side notes just to make sure that we understand who he's talking about and he talks about Mary being the one that anoints Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair and and and, and what we see is John is kind of drawing from his other sources right? other people have probably heard this story of Mary before and so he just wants to make sure that we understand that this is the same one Uh, The first time that we meet Mary and Martha in the Gospels, uh, it's when Jesus is visiting Bethany, and he stays at Mary and Martha's house, and he will teach the crowds, and we see that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening uh, to every word that Jesus has, but Martha, she's the doer, right? She's the one that's working, 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 and she gets frustrated that Mary's not helping her, uh, and we see that Jesus uses that moment to teach her. And so uh, that's the same people, and they have this brother Lazarus, And what we're told here in John chapter 11 is that Lazarus is sick. And and we don't necessarily know the sickness. Uh, We do assume that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, they're fairly well-off people. They're rich. And and they probably have access to doctors. And so uh, when when Mary and Martha are looking at the sickness of their brother, and they've called in the doctors, and they see that the doctors have not been able to do anything for their brother, uh, they turn to Jesus. And so they send a messenger to go find Jesus. And Jesus, again, is is a 4 days journey from here. And so uh, the messenger goes, uh, he finds Jesus, and we're told that Jesus loves Lazarus so much that he stays two days. It, It seems kind of weird how John words that, but Jesus is doing this for a reason, as we will see. See, Jesus, we already know from the book of John, has the power to heal Lazarus even from a great distance. Uh, the second miracle that Jesus performed uh, was that of uh, the royal official's son, and, and what we saw was Jesus was in Cana, and the royal official, all the way from Capernaum, over a day's journey, comes to Jesus and falls at Jesus' feet and says, Jesus, please come and heal my son. And Jesus says, go, your son is healed. And so Jesus has already proven that he can heal from a distance, and you can almost Feel Mary and Martha just begging Jesus, please heal Lazarus. You can do it from right there. You can come and do it here. We don't care. Just do it. right? But Jesus, he stays uh, for two days. uh, and, and, And he does this for a reason because he's going to do something that brings glory to God. All right, and that's what he says. He says, this is not going to end in death. The end result will not be Lazarus being dead in the tomb, uh, but it will be for the glory of God. All right, and He's going to do something new, something that no one has ever seen before. And it's going to build excitement up. All right, today is Palm Sunday. It's a day that we celebrate Jesus triumphantly entering into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey. But that excitement, it didn't happen just on that day. It was a building up. And it starts with what's happening here in chapter 11 of John. John is telling about Jesus bringing somebody back from the dead. And the excitement that's going to be around this is going to be to the point that everyone's heard the story and everyone's picking palm branches all the way from the Jordan River, four days' journey to Jerusalem, carrying these palm branches just so they can wave it at the feet of Jesus as he rides into the town. And it's all starting with what's happening here. Jesus is going to do something great so Jesus, eventually, uh, we hear, he turns to his disciples and says, okay, it's time to go back after these two days of waiting. And his disciples, they're like, no, we can't do that. Jesus, don't you remember? They want to kill you. Let's not go back there. And Jesus says, no, we must. We have to go wake up Lazarus. And Thomas, being the guy that he is, says, well, if Jesus is going to die, let us die with him. All right, and they, they eventually, Thomas is shaking his head back there. All right, you threw Bernie off earlier, so uh anyways (laughs) so uh thomas he does this in the in the gospels uh and and they decide to go back to jerusalem in verse 17 uh we read uh what happens as he walks into the scene on his arrival jesus found that lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days and so uh what we kind of see happening is is Jesus waits two days, he basically has a four-day journey, so Jesus waits until Lazarus dies. So even if Jesus had come right when he got the message, Lazarus would have been dead in the tomb for two days. All right, so Jesus, by waiting two extra days, uh, isn't really going to cause some things, but it will be uh, interesting later on to know why he's waiting there for four days. All right, and so uh, the town of Bethany, in verse 18, is less than two miles from Jerusalem. Verse 19, uh, many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them uh, on their loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So for a moment, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Jewish burial customs. All right? Because it's, it, there's going to be some things in here that's like, why are they doing it this way? And it's just because of what they typically did. See, in Palestine, it, it's a very hot place. Uh, and a lot of times it's very humid, depending on the time of the year. And so if someone died, they tried to, as soon as possible, put them in a tomb. All right? And they did this because decomposition happened pretty rapidly. And so they would take the body and they would put spices all over and they would wrap it up with special cloth and they would take it into the tomb. These tombs were uh, either caves that were naturally made in the side of the mountains or they would hewn out of the rock uh, a tomb. Uh, And they would place the the body inside these shelves that were in the tomb uh, and they would let it decompose there. And they would lay over the tomb a large stone that would usually take a couple of people to roll over and close. And they did this. Because they're wild animals. And if you didn't, then the wild animals got to the body. Uh, and, and they also did it because uh, when things decompose, they smell. All right? And they didn't want that smell coming into the town. All right? And so they would have this, tomb, this stone was there for a couple of reasons. All right? And so uh, that's one of the things they did. And, and, and they would also uh, put in with the body uh, treasure, food, and, and all kinds of stuff. Kind of like what the ancient Egyptians did later on uh, in life. Or earlier, I guess, earlier than what they were doing. Right, and, and, and part of the funeral uh, would be this funeral procession. And the women, of, the women family members would lead the procession, and the men would carry the body with them, and they would travel uh, in the most indirect route through the town because it was a custom uh, that if you saw a funeral procession, you stopped and you followed it, even if you didn't know the person. All right. It was just part of what they did. And so this funeral procession would be going through town and people would be lining up behind it. And when they finally put the the body in the tomb, the procession would form two lines in which the families would walk through uh, kind of like our condolences lines. OK. And so they did all these things uh, just to do honor the dead. And there would be crying it was said that the louder you cried, the more honor you gave to the person. And it just got to the point where in this time of Jesus, it was just extravagance. You know, they, they would try outdoing one another in their funeral, pre- uh, whatever, as they're trying to bury one another. They're trying to outdo each other. Right? They, they, would, they would bury you not with just cloth that they had lying around, but they would go by the most expensive cloth to wrap your dead body with. All right, they, w- they would put in not just food, but all their money that they possibly could. They would have people that were professionally whalers. All right, that their job was to go from funeral to fin- funeral just crying as loud as they possibly could. Right, it, was, it was outlandish right, at times. And, and once the body was in the tomb, the family was expected for a whole week to just sit around and do nothing but cry and mourn for their lost loved one. They were either to stay in their house or they were to stay at the tomb, and so when we see Mary Martha at the house, surrounded by other people who are trying to comfort them, who are mourning along with them, this is just a part of their custom. And so when Martha hears that Jesus is coming, she goes out to him. All right, she's the doer. Remember that, and she goes out to him and in verse twenty-one. She says, "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not." have died. And you can kind of hear this accusatory tone, can you not? Now, the beauty of the Bible is that she talks about real people and it shows the realness of them. Here is Martha who loves Jesus, who knows Jesus, who believes in Jesus and knows what he can do. And she knows that she sent a messenger and that messenger has been back for two days saying Jesus is on his way. And yet for two days, she waited around for Jesus to come and he never showed up until now. How frustrating would that have been? And even as she comes to him, it's, if you had been here, he would be alive. But even in this moment, we can see her faith in verse 22 when she says, but even now I know that God will give you what you ask. And while she doesn't necessarily believe that Lazarus is going to come back, Again, here and now, uh, as we'll see, uh, she still has faith in Jesus. Even though she is hurt, even though she is suffering from her loss of her loved brother, she still trusts Jesus. Well, Jesus starts a conversation with her in verse 23. He says, your brother will live again. And Martha said, I know he will rise again on the resurrection at the last days and Martha's thinking as they're talking about how her brother one day again will rise from the grave and it's the fate of all men for us even though we've died and buried to rise again at the end of the age when Jesus comes back some of us for eternal life and some of us uh, not so much and that's what Martha is thinking she's thinking that Jesus is talking about this resurrection but Jesus, he, he's talking about something more, and he says uh, one of the most profound things that he says in all the gospel in verse 25. He looks at her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she replied, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And what Jesus does here is he talks about the resurrection, not in a future sense, but in the here and now. The miracles that Jesus performs in John, they're done with lessons. And the lesson here is before the miracle. And the lesson is about the resurrection. And Jesus is talking about not only being the source of the resurrection, not only being the reason why everyone will come back to life, but Jesus himself is resurrection, and Jesus himself is life. And he's talking about more than just a physical death, because we all die. Even followers of Jesus, we die someday. But we're talking about more than that when Jesus is talking about resurrection and life. He's talking about a spiritual resurrection. And Jesus is able to resurrect even our spirits. See, far too often in this life, we try to fill it with all kinds of stuff and junk. We try to fill it with things that we go do. We try to fill it with toys. We try to fill it with cars and with women and with whatever it is that we try to fill it with, Also that at the end of our lives, at our funeral, someone can say he lived a full life. But what is a full life? So what Jesus is trying to get across to Martha and to us here is that life is not about stuff. You know life is about Jesus. And if we want to truly be filled in our lives, this emptiness, this void that we often feel, it can only be filled with Jesus and with nothing but Jesus. There are kings and queens who have all their pleasures and yet they are empty inside. And Jesus is saying, I am life. I am resurrection. And he is able to bring us into this life that is truly filled. At this time, I'm reminded of a guy by the name of Tokichi Ishii. Uh, Tokichi was a Japanese uh, man who lived in Japan in the late 1800s. He died in 1918. Uh, And Tokichi Ishii, he, uh, he was a notorious criminal. He was a thief. He stole pretty much everything that he wanted to steal. Uh, He killed a lot of different people, women, children, men, and he did it in the most brutal ways. Uh, Tokichi Ishii in his lifetime was imprisoned 20 different times and released 19 of those times. All right. So he just kept on coming back to prison and in a time when that was not acceptable. And, and and the last time that he was brought in and arrested and taken to prison, uh, he w- was talking to some of the inmates, and, and one of them was talking about this guy that had just been uh, convicted of killing a, a local geisha. And when they were talking about this lady that had died, uh, Tokiji said, no, no, he didn't kill him, I did. And he admitted to the crime, and he went to the police and said, hey, I, I, I committed this crime. No reason why he did this. He, he was insane, okay? Let's just leave it at that. And so he's brought before the court and they try him uh, for this crime and they find him not guilty. And Tokichi Ishii said, that's not right, I appeal that judgment. He's been found not guilty and he appeals the judgments and as they are going through the appeal process, um, new evidence comes to light that proved that Tokichi Ishii did the crime. And he was a sentence to be hanged. And during that period of waiting between the sentencing until it was carried out, a couple of missionaries came to Tokichi's cell. And they're from Canada, and they tried to talk to him, and Tokichi just, just beat them off, right, chased them out of the cell. And so they left a Bible behind And and just gave it to him. And, And since he had nothing else to do, he started to read. And he got to the trials of Jesus. And during the trials, he got to a sentence that Jesus said. And the sentence was this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Tokichi, writing from his prison, says, I don't know what it was about that, but that one sentence made me stop. It was like a five-inch nail was driven through my heart. I don't know if it was the compassion of the Savior. I do not know uh, if it was his love, but I was changed. And Tokichi uh, Ishii, as he was taken to the gallows, the people said that you could tell a difference from this brute of a man that killed at will uh, to this radiant, smiling man as he was taken and hung for his crime. And we see in the life of Tokichi Ishii, the resurrection power that Jesus has, of the spiritual life that he can change people. And it doesn't even have to be as extreme as Mr. Ishii. You can be a person that is so selfish that you don't even care about the desires of other people. And Jesus, he can change that in you. You can be uh, so insensitive to the needs and feelings of other people, and yet Jesus can come into your life, and he can make you have compassion. You can be uh, so dead to, to the, because of the dishonesties, dishonesties and the disloyalties of this world that you can be dead to honor, and Jesus can come into your life, and he can give you honor again. You can be so hopeless, with everything that you see and to a point where you're just inert and, and, and Jesus can come in and he can give you life. Jesus has the power to give life because he is life. Well, Martha, she goes back in verse 28 to her sister and says, sister, come with me. The master is wanting to talk to you. And so Mary gets up and she runs out pretty quickly, so much so that everybody that's in in the room thinks that she's going to the tomb to mourn. And so they all follow after Mary to go to the tomb to mourn with her. And Jesus, standing outside the city, sees Mary and Martha coming and he sees these Wailers, these people crying, these people begging God uh, to have compassion upon them coming to him and it cuts him and he gets so emotional that we're told that Jesus weeps with them. And Mary says the same words that Martha does. She says, Jesus, if you had been here, our brother would be alive. It's too much the compassion of the Savior, the one that can give life, even though he knows what he's going to do next, he still weeps. And he asks to see the tomb. And they take him to the tomb. And in verse 38, Jesus asks them to take the stone away. And Martha, she objects. And there's good reasons why she's objecting. It's been four days. Lazarus' body has been decomposing for four days. And if they roll away the stone, Jesus, it's going to smell. And Martha probably is thinking, Jesus just wants to look at Lazarus one last time, but he's too far gone. You're not going to recognize him, Jesus. Don't do this. Four days. I mean, John makes it pretty clear that it's been four days throughout this entire story. And the reason why that's important is this. The, the, the bodies, they, they would decompose four days in a tomb that it takes multiple people to roll in front. There's no way, without a doubt, that Lazarus is dead. You know, he didn't have food, he didn't have water, he wasn't sneaking out. He is dead for sure. It's also the time, amount of time that the Jews thought that the spirit kind of hovered around the body. And when a person died, the Jews thought that their spirit stayed there for about three days. But then on the fourth day, the face is too unrecognizable that they would leave. And so it's without a doubt that Lazarus is dead and his spirit is not with him anymore. And it's into this that Jesus, after they've rolled away the stone and after praying, he says to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes. And Jesus proves that He is the resurrection and the life. And so I leave you with this thought to contemplate. Have you experienced the resurrection of Jesus in your life? Maybe you have. Maybe you have been buried with Christ in baptism. The this, this symbolism of us dying spiritually and being raised to new life. The resurrection power is symbolized in that gravy, the watery grave. And so maybe you've experienced, and maybe you know what we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus changing your life. Maybe you're here today and, and you've never experienced that, or you thought you did, but your life, It's not any better than it was before. Know this, that Jesus has the power to raise even you, if you will allow Him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for Jesus and His ability to give life because He is life. And as we look at the story of Lazarus, we're amazed at His ability to to have compassion and his desire to bring you glory in all things. Where sometimes we look at our own selves and we see the deadness that's going on in our life. And sometimes we may even wonder why we're even doing what we're doing. It's in those moments, Father, we ask that you come in and you resurrect our spirits, and that you give us the life that we were meant to live. We're grateful for the Messiah who has proven without a doubt that He is the Son of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.